Right now, man, Brent Terfel is so good. Good lord. Um, hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast. My name is Nicholas Brownlee. This is Hook, Push, and Pray, my shop talking opera podcast. If you're a first timer, welcome. Uh, if you're a lot of timer, this is episode seven. So, thanks for hanging with me for this long. That clip is, of course, Brent Terfel from uh, his CD Silent Noon, Malcolm Martin, who played the piano, Ray Fon Williams. Uh, Ralph, you know what I mean, for us simpletons, um, 2004, it was the first, that CD is the first physical CD I ever owned that wasn't like underground Atlanta rap or Lil Boosie, uh, <laughs> where are all my Lil Boosie CDs, oh god, Lil Boosie, uh, go on Spotify, listen to him, um, so today on the, on the podcast, we're joined by Sarah Gartland, uh, actually pushed her interview up to today because it's so powerful and so intense. Um, because I was gonna, I do have these other interviews in the cans, um, which are also great. And but Sarah's is is it's so real, and she keeps it. She just keeps it a hundred, man. And it's like I don't know. There's just something about it that's so wonderful. And the story she told towards the end of the podcast um, about her son is so so incredible. Um, I'm just blown away. Uh, so Sarah, thank you for your your bravery, your honesty, and just an incredible interview. So uh, I hope you guys enjoy that today. Now, I am trying to just keep it 100 with y'all. I have recorded this intro now. This is my, my third time. Uh, and I'm saying that now so that I won't re-record it. And it's because I want to talk about something today that's like really sketchy. And it's like not talked about a lot. And I don't understand why. And, but clearly it's a, it's a, it's a thing because I've, I, I, I've now recorded this thing. This is my third time. These things take a long time and like, I don't know what's going on. It's usually very clear. I'm talking about the subject. I'm passionate about it. I feel about it away. And then I just go for it. This one is, is a little touchy. Now, as you remember, I'm doing this four part series of intros and, uh, this week <laughs> we're talking about, um, music versus being a technician and how the two are married, how the two are separate, how the two come together to make art. And for me, the reason this is so difficult to talk about is because so often you're just not allowed to be both in this business. You're not allowed to be an artist who might have a big voice and you're not allowed to be a traditional opera person if maybe you have a smaller voice. Somehow whatever God gave you, the four inches between your stupid neck, someone has decided what kind of person you are. Someone has decided what kind of personality you have. Someone has decided who you are in the music that you're supposed to make. There are so many gatekeepers in this business that tell you what you can and what you can't do. And I don't want to be one of those. But I, I want to be helpful. I want to tell you that you can do anything that you want to do. If you want to do special side projects, you absolutely can. And then you can also do Just Add Water Opera too. 
So today I'm I, I'm taking it on. I'm not re-recording this. Let's power through. Everyone, buckle up. If you're listening to this driving, like, you know, just ten and two, baby, ten and two, because we're gonna get crazy. I'm gonna say some outlandish shit, but that's me. Just trying to keep it a hundred. If you want to argue with me, please write me. I, you know, I love arguing. It's like my favorite thing in the world. So let's talk about it. Things I wish I would have learned in undergrad. Now. For me, I, I happened to go to an undergrad with a voice teacher who was all about just get the stupid voice out. Just go, uh, 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 sound like a Neanderthal. And this is hard, also hard to talk about because you can't see me in person because I can't use my hands. But for the purpose of this podcast, go with me on this. So let's talk about the colors and the spectrum of dynamics that you can make as a singer from one to 10, okay? Now, that... That toolbox for me when I left my undergrad was about one to three. I could go, uh, and then I could go, uh, and then I could go, uh, those were the colors I had. Those were the colors. Now, could I sing silent new like Bryn Terfel? No. I, 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 if you, uh, I could sing art song, but there would be, there would be one color. It would be Nick. And then wherever, sort of, my colors were exclusively dictated by where it was in the range of my voice. If it was on the staff, then I maybe had two options. If it was higher than the staff, I had maybe one option. And that was to just sort of sing it mezzo forte, forte. That's all I had. Because as soon as I came off of it, it got weird and fluffy and my chords fell out of place. And I made this weird, terrible sound that no one liked and couldn't be heard in a room, let alone on an actual opera hall or on a recital stage. So I got lucky in undergrad in that I had an undergrad teacher who was just like one to three. Let's stay within our lanes. I don't need you to go up and float high notes. I don't need you to do that stuff right now. You're incapable of it. I know you're incapable of it. So let's just try to keep you making healthy, good sounds. Dr. Rao, I appreciate that. Just so it's on the record. So what is technique? Mm. Woof. Technique is the process that you must go through in order to carry out an artistic endeavor. Every great artist, whether they were a painter, a film director, an opera singer, a musician of, of some other ilk, every single person, every single pianist has had to sit down and learn that the thumb goes under it three for a C score, for a C scale. Now, whatever they felt in their moment, whatever they felt, you know, uh, <laughs> whatever they felt Rachmaninoff meant by that C scale, they couldn't put themselves into it until they learned that the stupid thumb goes under at three. This is what technique is. And this is what, for some reason, in the vocal world, not just opera, I'm talking about the vocal world. We're talking about art song. We're talking about... Uh, in a lot of ways, we're talking about musical theater. We're talking about all vocal, the vocal umbrella. Technique is just not talked about in the same way. Any violinist in the world, the first half hour of every single violin lesson is technique. The first half hour. The fir- there, there, there are books devoted to it, Suzuki and otherwise, that talk about this technique. So a great violinist can't put themselves as an artist into their work until all of that is settled. It's a skip that we, it's a step that we skip 
in vocalizing and in making vocal music and in singing in general that I don't understand why we don't talk about it, why it's a faux pas to talk about it, and why we ask a 20-year-old singer to have their full spectrum of colors and of dynamics by the time they're 20. That's insane to me. It's crazy to me. So I have a statement that's probably going to get me into a lot of fights, but like, whatever, I'm going to ride it out. Now I'm being that guy in the room. I don't care what you think. I do very much care what you think, if that's not clear. And I'm just here to help. So this is how I think about it. You can only be as good of a musician as you are a technician. Boo, you suck. I roast tomatoes. I know. I'm aware of the statement that I just made. I know how gnarly it is, but that's where I'm at today. I think that what I see in undergrads when I do master classes in undergrads, which I've been lucky enough to do a lot lately, I see undergrad singers who are going, who, who, why? I it, it, it's making me totally, totally crazy. I don't know why in this business, and this is the main thing I want you to take from this, if you are a young singer. I am not telling you to scream. I am not telling you to just make stupid Neanderthal sounds. I'm not telling you to do any of that. But I don't know why that everyone in America, especially, is so quick to say, oh, you're pushing. Oh, you're screaming. Oh, that's too loud. Oh, that's not right. Oh, that's throaty. Oh, that's... They have all of these things, but yet they hear someone whispering off their chords into the top, which, in my humble opinion, is as much a dangerous road to go down as pushing your guts out is, but no one says anything. No one says anything about the soft, on-their-chords, blowing, no-compression, bad, soft sound. Everyone's like, oh, no, that's fine. Do that. Oh, yeah, that's it. Now, I can speak directly to this because I, have to, I, I still, to this day, try to make those sounds. I will have a conductor say to me, oh, no, 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 I want this, like, voix mixy, and I want this, like, light and beautiful. And I'm like, it's an E natural. Oh, by the way, that, that's high for me. <laughs> that's, that's high for it. I have realized a lot of people are like, oh, an E natural. I can, no, 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 it's high for me. Or in my highest, I, 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 I'll have a conductor or a coach say to me, um, uh, Nick, it's good to work against what the music is calling for. Now, that's a really high-level concept. I love that. I love that idea. When things get big, you go small. That idea of like playing on stage, I'm very interested in that. I love making that kind of art. I love making those kind of choices. However, there is a moment if the music is big, I can't choose to go against it because your boy, like, your boy's going to just get squashed by the orchestra. So there are literal moments where like that advice, as good as it in well-meaning as it may be, won't actually play out. Now, the first, <laughs> the first CD I ever had, funny enough, which is why I started with this, was that Silent Noon. It was the first CD I ever owned, like I told you, I think, uh, that wasn't, I, I've recorded this intro so many times, I forgot what I said and didn't say, um, was, was, this is the first CD I ever had, Silent Noon, Brent Turfle. And I remember when I got that CD, Dr. L was like, go out and buy it. You know, you need to listen to classical music. And I was like, all right, cool. So I go out, I buy this CD, and I hear Silent Noon, and I hear he does songs of travel. He does all, and it just blew my mind. 
the way Bryn Terfel has that like Celtic Welsh ability to pull off in the top is unmother effing. Not gonna say the F word yet. I'm not that ballsy. It's unbelievable. And I remember getting into a practice room, and maybe this is the first thing that ever generated my interest enough to go practice. I was like, I was like 19. Everybody chill out. Like I like practicing now, sort of. And and it was the first thing. So I get into the practice room, and I'm like, your I I I smile p garbage, garbage off the voice, terrible. I don't know literally how still today he does that. Now. That's Bryn Terfel's thing. And I was trying to mimic a guy doing a thing that was, had a, like, it had been, it was 2004. He won Cardiff 15 years before that. Like, my boy was so, was 15 years post-Cardiff. Like, my boy's in his mid-40s making this CD, and I, a 21-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-whatever I was, was in a practice room trying to mimic this guy who was at such a high level of art and technique that I would never be able to do it. I, 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 I'm 29 now. I still can't even get close to what he's doing. Now, a lot of people would say, well, Nick, you're wrong. That's not how you should approach it. You should approach it your way. And what's soft for you is soft for everyone else. But the same people that are, that are saying that are also asking people for colors that they are incapable of. I'm all fired up. Sorry. This is skewing a lot more serious than <laughs> than, uh, than it was supposed to. So here's the practical side of all of this advice that I'm just like spewing hot at you right now. So here's the practical side of it. Of course, absolutely, you should try to do everything in the music that is called for. Of course, absolutely, Whatever your voice teacher, coach, or conductor says to you that you trust, you should try to do. Absolutely. And you should always strive to be the strongest musician, make the strongest choices, and to, and to make music on, on a level that all of your instrumental friends are making, right? When you, for me, when I hear a horn player, the way a horn player phrases is the way that I want people to talk about my phrasing one day. The way a clarinet player has the facility and in unbelievable uh, amount of dynamics, but can still pierce through the orchestra in a way that no other instrument can. I want that too. I want that too. Of course, we all want to strive to that level of musicianship. And you should always try to do everything the music asks for. However, what you should never do is do something that that pulls you off of your core instrument. You should never do anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, that is not helpful, that isn't doesn't feel healthy or sustainable, and that literally like just hurts you. And for me, when I was doing that soft pull off the voice singing, I never could tap back into my natural sort of like na 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 na. That was bad. Oh my god, la la. I could never tap back into that, right? And so that was my big that was my big big problem. And so, if you're in undergrad, if you're even in grad school, if you're even a professional working singer listening to this, and you're frustrated that a coach is asking you to do something you're incapable of, or you're frustrated that maybe someone's asking you for a color in the room before you go to stage, which is often the case, 
They will ask you for a color in the room. You give them that color, which is like an off-the-voice throaty thing because it's the only way you know how to do it. And then you go to stage, and they're like, yeah, we're, we're missing you. What's happening there? And you're like, well, but you asked me for that, and I knew it wasn't going to work, but now I'm trying to – we're in the pleasing business, so I'm trying to please you, and I'm trying to do this thing. Okay, here's how you navigate that. You just say yes, and you continue to try, but you never give up your technique. You never give up sounding like you. Ever. I know that that is hard to parse, and it's certainly hard to parse from like sitting here not having ever heard you or whatever, but I think you, you have, it is so imperative that you sound like you all the time. When I try to do fake weird colors, it comes across as, guess what? Fake and weird. Don't do that. Okay. I'm 17 minutes in, so I'm going to close up. Sorry, I'm just in a place today. You know what I mean? I'm just like all fired up. There's been a lot of weird stuff happening in the opera business lately. Um, yeah. So just a reminder to, to love everybody out there. Um, enjoy this interview with Sarah. I recorded it like an idiot. I'm like eating the microphone. So just deal with that. Sorry about that. Um, oh, yeah. And this transition music is the final scene from Yanifa, uh, which Sarah picked, which is some of the most glorious music in the world. All right, you guys. And then if you don't like something, then I will totally like not put it in the episode. It's sort of like a pretty easy thing to do. Amelia's um, Amelia's finally made herself comfortable. Amelia's fine. She looks very good. She's just a good baby, huh? She's a good girl. Incredible. I think she's not really enjoying being on stage, but But she seemed to at the first part. Yeah, and now it's like a little intense. Right. I think she's not really She's like, no, it's all good. She's like, I also, I did this photo shoot yesterday and she was here for like seven hours. You mean you did the, the photo shoot yesterday with Suzanne oh. before the show and she was in there. Yeah, so I think gnarly. she's like, why am I here? She's like not worn out. My, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. You can't wear that poor little baby. I know. <laughs> Sarah Gartland here today. Sarah, I have to read this about you. I love reading people's reviews in front of them because it makes them so awkward. Statuesque. Ugh. Statuesque beauty and opulent coloratura. People say the same about me. A wholly sympathetic, sympathetic heroine. Bravo. That's amazing. Is that how you would describe yourself? <laughs> no. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> but thank God someone else did. Am I, I mean, right? thank God. It's a usable review. Amazing. Amazing. Well, Sarah, thank you for coming on today. I'm so excited uh, to, to interview you. We are coming to you live from our dressing my dressing room yeah uh we are getting ready to do orchestra dress number one they got two orchestra dresses here that dallas opera money um so we get a lot of orchestra time which is great um well sarah thanks for joining me listen i i have been so excited to talk to you because of a lot of reasons that we will eventually get to but i think and we will get here eventually for a lot of our listeners um 
a lot of our listeners tend to skew soprano because there's just so many sopranos in the dead gum world, right? I mean, you can't throw a rock and not hit one. <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, I'm happy to get a fellow bass baritone <laughs> listeners, but there's only four of us. So, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I'm, I'm so happy to have you on t- because you're, you're such a seasoned performer and you've done so much. And so, I'm happy for you to, like, walk us through how a soprano gets by in this crazy world of opera. First, let's talk about this. How, so how did you start? How did it all get started? From Minnesota, yeah? From Minnesota okay. originally. Do not come from a musical family. Um, my mom is a nurse. My dad is a big executive. Um, now retired. They live in Florida. Um, they retired to Florida. Yeah. Oh, live in that Florida golf course life, you know? Yeah. Um, so I was always very dramatic and I always wanted to sing and make believe and dress up and all of that. And was really fortunate to go to a a great high school that had, um, a really good music program and a show choir. So actually I sang show choir and (laughs) competed all over the Midwest. And and when I was a junior, it was, of course you did. Yeah. I I won a lot of, that maybe is even mean to say, but like, (laughs) duh. Of course you did show choir. By the way, you guys, she's currently doing this interview with a fashion scarf wrapped around her neck and a dog in her lap. If that doesn't scream show choir past. And a top bun. And a top bun. (laughs) And a top bun. (laughs) Incredible. So show choir. So you're on the road with show choir. Yeah, so show choir. And um, won a lot of solo awards. And I mean, that like they're all in a box somewhere in like the basement of my mom's place, I guess. I don't know. But... Um, so when I was a junior, it was the, um, assistant choir director came to me and she said, you know, you can major in this in college. In fact, if her name was Mrs. Tunseth, I, in fact, if she had never said anything to me, I don't know where I would have applied to go to college and I don't know what my major would have been. Wow. So then I applied and I ended up going to the UW, UW Madison. I'm a badger through and through. Badger. Yeah. And they had reciprocity with Minnesota state schools. So I paid, um, Minnesota in-state tuition to go to a Wisconsin state school and I got a scholarship and I was on the five-year track. Hey, um, your boy was on the five-year track that wasn't senior. that wasn't an actual five-year track. <laughs> no, I'm, I got that normal four-year degree in five. Mine was definitely yeah. five. But I was so good they made me stay an extra year. That's what I, I love think. that. Right. I love that. Um, yeah, and then I did my master's at CU Boulder. So everyone was going east to conservatories for masters okay. and I was not emotionally like I couldn't do it yet. You I mean emotionally had, like you were having trouble leaving that far from home or no, I, okay. because I, I graduated from a small high school and I wanted to get out and okay. I loved being at a school that was 40,000 students and I, nobody knew me and I could reinvent myself and it was awesome. And once you're in the school of music, then of course everybody knows you there, but I could walk campus and I didn't have to run into anybody, you know, sure. that was awesome. Sure. No, I had a very difficult um, experience with my voice teacher there who's since passed, but um, uh, very, um, (laughs) I mean, it was actually a very abusive relationship emotionally. Okay. And so I couldn't, I needed to go somewhere where I could really be loved and like get the stick taken out of my behind so that I could like, you know. So you were like, give me, give me, hippie, give me hippie boulder. Literally, I went to Granola, yeah. Granolaville, just, yeah. and I love it there. Let's just get some, like, let's go to a coffee shop. 
let's just everyone chill oh, yeah. out. And see what was cool about Boulder is like Madison had State Street and Boulder had Pearl Street. Uh, so it was it was awesome. So I did my master's and then they began a um performance you certificate study with there. Boulder? So in my master's I studied with um Dr. Robert Harrison, who mm-hmm. then ended up going to Indiana. I think he's since retired. Okay. And then in my performance certificate, I studied with Julie Simpson, who's now... I do know Julie. Rice, I think. I think she's still at Rice. Yeah. Yeah. She was there when I was there. Yeah. At least. Yeah, yeah. Julie's super nice. Super yeah. chill. Um, then from there, went to uh, New York and was temping, actually, at the NYU Cancer Wait, Center. from there. Okay. See, now that... It's the from there that I'm interested <laughs> in, because that's the... It, 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 it is, uh, these are statistics that I totally made up that have no actual backing to them, okay. but I'm, it's close enough. You know what I mean? There is a crazy high percentage of people, good throats who are passionate about being on stage who from the point where you just said, and then from there, yeah. stop singing that 24 post masters, 24 year old to 30 year old. Like so many people get lost in that. So take me through. So Julie connected me. So I I will say that in the performance certificate program, I was really blessed because I sang a bunch of leading roles and I did a lot of recitals and I was friends with um, a lot of the master's and doctoral instrumental students. So my performance degree recital was um, like a small chamber recital that like every wind instrument player friend of mine was on that recital with me it was awesome it's one I still sometimes listen to that cd it's not for the singing just like that experience brings back so many fond memories for me that's really cool um and so Julie connected me to um well I sang for like a Denver Lyric Opera Guild thing and Ellie Calkins was there of the Ellie Calkins Opera House in in Denver got it got it the Ellie was there and she um, was best friends with Ashley Putnam. And so she was like, I want you to see Ashley. And Julie was like, yeah, I'm friends with Ashley. Let me write to her. So then I went to New York and I took lessons with Ashley. And I was like, okay, this this is cool. So how do I do this? Mm-hmm. So my best friend. So your post-master's. Post-master's, post- post-artist perform- diploma, uh, performance AD, certificate, performance certificate, whatever. whatever. Yep. So you're post all this and you still are like, how do I do this? And I think that's true for so yes. many people. By the way, it's sometimes crazy. I'm still like, how do I do oh, this? We can absolutely. talk all about like what that absolutely. means now in, yeah, 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 in yeah. this day and age. But yeah, so I um, yeah, I went and took a lesson. And, and my best friend who lived with me in Colorado was like, she was big into music theater mm-hmm. and wanted to get Hold to New York. Second. I can just see who is here. Amelia, who is it? So you're in Colorado and you're like, I'm going to New York and you have this roommate. Yeah. So my best, my best friend, um, and I live together in Colorado and she is big into musical theater and has always wanted to go to New York too. And like try and intern and like make connections there. So we move, we go, we find this one bedroom. Now this is almost very soprano of me, but we find a one bedroom in Tribeca, but in a building that as every person was, I know as every person was leaving, they were redoing the inside of the apartments and we put in a pressurized wall and three of us lived in that apartment because it was, um, my friend, her boyfriend and me, and I had the faux room and they had the actual room. Wow. Um, but we were close to every subway so I could walk to the six train and take it up to the cancer center where I worked. I actually had a salaried 
job at first and then I ended up temping for them. But I was a scheduler at the NYU Langone Medical Center. Oh, wow. And then on Thursday nights, I would take three subway trains up to Manhattan School of Music to have lessons. And that summer, I so didn't work. So you went with no sort of, you just went, you were just like, like a, Cold. like a, like a bad, like the first act of a bad rom-com or something. <laughs> yeah. You were just like, or the second act. You were like, I'm just going to New York. I totally did. And yeah. I was totally on match.com. And I was totally oh, like that, yeah. that first summer that I was there, that year that I was there, I did not get, um, I, I had done the Ohio Light Opera three summers in a row. Okay. And I didn't want to go back for a fourth summer but I didn't get picked to go to any other summer program. I so I was see. like, you know what? Screw it. Because my entire collegiate experience, I was such a good girl. I was like, fuck it. Yeah. I'm going to like do whatever I want. So I would go out on Monday nights to Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and I would like get wasted during trivia night. And like I I was dating for food on match.com. This is really <laughs> actually becoming an actual rom-com. Dating for food? No, legitimately, because I could get like if, if we would go out to dinner, I could order something and I'd always have leftovers. And it was definitely lunch or dinner the next day. Classic. No, really. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. So that was, uh, but I mean, it was awesome. That whole New York, I mean, I, yeah, I did it. It was, it was crazy fun. And then in 2008, I auditioned for, um, false. In 2007, I auditioned for Des Moines Metro Opera and was hired for Opera Iowa tour and for the summer in 2008. And that was my first sort of legitimate. So all throughout grad school, all of that stuff, you didn't do the Santa Fe's or the Glimmer Glasses or the. No. Song Fest. I did some of them. I think I, I auditioned for Santa Fe and I auditioned for, I I, I mean, I auditioned for Opera Theater St. Louis. I auditioned for Chautauqua. I I probably did a glimmer glass in there. Sure. I, but I was never picked. Wow. Yeah. So now you're, so now you're in New York, you're living your life, you're dating for food, (laughs) which is maybe the best thing I've literally ever heard. So, uh, so you're like, I, you, Mary Tyler Moore. You're just like throwing your hat up when oh you get God. out of a cab. Do you cab. know how many times in my life I get that name? Really? Yeah. It, it's fitting. It, but I guess. for all the right reasons. Well, thank I think. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you're you're super bright and super with it. And like, well, thank no. yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Or at least I think so. <laughs> um. So so you do all that, and so you're that first. When you say it's your first big thing, I mean that is. It's true. Yeah. I mean, not to take away from OLO because I loved it there. And I, um, like, I think operetta is the coolest thing because it fed both my musical theater side, my show choir girl side, and then the opera girl that I was trying to be side. It's like the baby that operetta is the baby between opera and musical theater. I feel like it's their love child. You know, it's so funny. I never think about it like that, but it really is. It's sort of like before you get your big honker voice in. But you still want to be on stage. And that stuff's not co- hard yeah. because you have to, like, I just sang um, uh, Rosalinda and Flatermouse in Utah last year. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're not miked when you're delivering. Rosalinda's serious. It's though. a That's... big deal. And so often those shows are like poo pooed and everyone's like, oh, I hate it. And I'm like, you have no idea. I am it's a more big exhausting. proponent of the poo pooing. So <laughs> I, I also, it's interesting to, funny about operetta, they take it so seriously in Germany. Oh, of course they do. It's their, it's their thing. Yeah. And so when you go to an operetta in Germany, it's a very different experience. It's a very like, in a way, audience-wise, it sort of feels like what people, th- you know, people love to say, opera wasn't always for the elite. You know, that's like the thing. Like, yeah. People used to laugh during, mo- and we don't really know how true that is, by the way. That's that's something that 
everyone speculates. However, Operetta does feel like that. It feels very much like, you know, even the, the well-behaved German audience will mumble during, you know, stuff that doesn't... And then when Dynasty Mein Gansas hair start playing, everyone is just like, oh! Oh, yeah. You know, it's so gorgeous. It's, right, right, right. So that's that's really interesting. No, Operetta, Operetta is super dope. So so you're doing the Operetta thing. You, you're So what then what then leads like what happens now because for me in my head right now i'm just thinking about like like if i were like if maddie decides to go into opera which we're really she won't <laughs> oh no it's like of, with tomas we're like yeah. be a conductor or a pianist or an anesthesiologist or an orthodontist yeah more the latter <laughs> definitely <laughs> or like do and i don't care what like, you don't do be just a do singer. something crazy but don't be a singer <laughs> but know. if she were i am getting like an ulcer thinking about being your parent oh with this journey if i'm like what are you doing were only you already here. have a grad degree what are you doing so like so everyone chill out if it's not happening for you yet. This is a very... Not only a grad degree, but also a postgraduate certificate. And I still wasn't... And like... It, How in the hell do you get to I'm Adler? just really stubborn. Because when you I... Got, you, so go back. So, you so when I first, lived in New York and I got, I got... I took that year off, which literally was the best thing I ever did for myself. Because I just lightened up and I had a great time and mm-hmm. was the girl I'd always thought, wished I could be, but never was. Wow. And then I did the auditions and I got Des Moines and I loved it there. And I got to sing Zan, Alexandra and mm-hmm. Regina. And then Utah Opera was there and they needed an Alexandra and their production of Regina in January of 2009. So I knew I had that contract going into it. So I do Des Moines. I go back to New York. Now I'm subletting everywhere. But because um, I had to move out for Opera Iowa and for Des Moines and everything. And I went back in, up to Minnesota in oh, between because tri- it's so the close. The Tribeca apartment. So the Tribeca was gone. Up. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, but then, um, but then I went to um, subletting. I went to audition and ended so up getting a call this... back for San Francisco. And it was my second audition with them. Aha. Okay. Okay. From Marilla. From Marilla. Sure. Sure. Got the call back. So got wait, a so call back have... for Santa Fe that year. Oh, so things are moving. Okay. Moving. And then Marilla comes back and offers me Sutzel in L'Amico Fritz. And yeah. I'm like, yes. And I say to Santa Fe, thank you so much. But no, I'm not going to do the you call back. You said no to Santa Fe. And wow. which Ashley was really upset with me about. Yeah. And But I, I was playing the long game because I knew that if you're in Marilla and you make a good impression, you could get an Adler Fellowship. And who doesn't want to get paid? for two and a half years to do what they love to do and live in San Francisco and get the lessons and the experience. So I was like playing for that. How did you know that existed? Google. Okay. (laughs) But I just mean like it just like you didn't because. I knew this. Look, because this is what girls, this is is what we all do. No, no. I all the thing was I had a three quarter tuition waiver to go to Rice and I turned it down. I first said yes because Colorado didn't have any money for me. I tried to like pin them between oh, yeah, each yeah. other. Classic. And yeah. then I called Dr. Harrison and I was like, you know, you were my first choice, which by the way, they were. But you don't have any money for me and Rice does and they're my second choice. So I think I'm going to go there. And lo and behold, like 24 hours later, he called me and somehow found me money. And I had a, I had a teaching fellowship. And I got a scholarship to go to Colorado. So, um, cause I was going to do this with scholarship. I couldn't, I, and, and in Colorado, you could be an in-state, 
um, you could apply to be in-state the first day that you arrive. Wow. So the first year you pay out-of-state tuition with that scholarship, but then the second year you pay in-state tuition. Yeah, yeah. The rules there okay. are different. I don't know if they've changed, but. So, wow, that's fascinating. So you're playing... So you're playing the game the whole time, very much so. In a way. I'm not a yeah. good game player, but right. I did kind of play a bit of a game there. No, but I mean from a strategy standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you're like, oh, I'm going to hear and hear and hear and hear. And when Marilla came to me and offered me the Sutzel, I was like, okay, so who were the Sopranos that were Adler Fellows? Because I don't even remember who it was, but I remember, like, I don't remember who I knew was going to leave through, sure, through sure, the sure, Google, sure, sure. like, trail. But I knew that two spots were going to open and there were five Sopranos that were going in that summer. Good odds. So I was like, okay. And you have a role, a big role. And I'm singing yeah. Sutzel. Yeah. Like, why would I, I'm sorry, but at the time, this was truly my thinking. Why go and be chorus, which I just was in Des Moines. Yeah. Now, I know so much more about Santa Fe now. I was just a stupid no, girl okay. that was dating for Listen, food. Listen, the Santa Fe, I did Santa Fe two years, and those chorus contracts are brutal. It is it brutal. It is also where I got my manager and where my life changed. Exactly. Except. Because you yeah. do that on stage audition, and that's Yeah, it's life-changing. It yeah. is. So, yeah. My life, I chose the path that I chose, you know, yeah, there is no, so, and, it, and obviously, I mean, it, it worked clearly. It clearly. spun out into all other kinds of things. You in have my a life. lap dog, you know <laughs> I what I mean? Do. I um, do. so, so then you get, so then you get into Marilla. Yep. You don't have an agent at this point. Um, no, I mean, I think at some point Jonathan Miller was sort of helping me. Right. Um, but no, I do not have okay. an agent. Wow. So you got this Utah opera thing hanging out there. I got it just from singing from Christopher Macbeth, who goes to Des Moines every summer hearing me and needing a Zan. And he was like, yep, you're my girl. And come awesome. on, do it. Oh, and I that's a company that. I have. A, I mean, both Des Moines and Utah are the companies that have hired me back the most. Oh, yeah. You, you work you work in both yeah. places a lot. Um, so so then you so then you go to Marilla. You, you're like, okay, they, there's two spots to fill. There's five of us. Yeah. There's a good chance. And this is your first summer at Marywell, yeah? Yeah. And now, after that first summer, did you get the phone call to enter Adler? I did. Okay, great. I did. Yep. I did not how go back is, first. How dope was that? Um, I was at the Minnesota State Fair with my mom no, you and my weren't. sister when I got the call. Jack Swanson talks about Do you know Jack? He's no. A, he's a fellow Minnesotan, <laughs> I guess. Is the, I don't know, Minnesota. That state fair yeah. is the best state fair. He, he Sorry, sure Texas. Thinks it is. He but... sure thinks it is. So you're, so you're eating a fried egg, a Twinkie, and you... <laughs> And you get the call or whatever. Everything's on a stick and fried. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, right. and I got the call. And actually, we were on the way to the car in the parking lot, and I, like, jumped up and down, and it was the most awesome, incredible thing. Did you thing. realize what a life-changing event that would be? I, I can tell you my my quick story. I did not. I got into the LA Young Artist Program. Uh, funny enough, speaking of Utah, I was headed to Utah, to that Young Artist yeah. Program, and then I got the call from LA. And... Uh, at the time, Jen and I were just sort of talking. We weren't even dating yet. And I called her and I was like, hey, I got into L.A. And she was like, she's six years older than me. And she was like, bro, you don't, you don't even know. Yeah. This is like getting into one of those top five young artist programs. Yeah. Is like, and I still to this day reflect on how, how I, would like to, I would like to think it was sort of ignorance, but it was also just plain stupidity on how like, oh, yeah, I'll just supposed to pop over to L.A. Like, no, it was life changing. Yeah. So it's like. So it's like, did you realize at that moment how big of a deal being an Adler was? I knew, yes, because 
I had the experience of seeing Adler Fellows sing leading roles on the main stage that summer. Uh-huh. And so I knew the massive potential for what yeah. it could provide. Um, I didn't realize how actually for me it it was it it was a really difficult though environment to be in. It was super competitive and I'm not like I'm it's funny because I've clearly just like sawed away at this career and I'm like stubborn and I'm not going to give up, Mm -hmm. but it's at a detriment to myself and the, the progression of my career because I take things very personally and I'm very sensitive and competition, especially when there are some of the best sopranos that are singing right now out in the world, um, were in my class. Um, I like diminished myself further and further and further, which is why I didn't graduate with major management, which is why I didn't graduate singing major roles in bigger regional houses because I had a very difficult emotional time to lead back to the girl who Uh went from Madison to Boulder with the competition and how it just affected me. It affected me to the point where my second year that I was there, I had a stroke. Because I was so, so literally stressed. Like I remember when the, the, the fire department was in my bedroom and I had post-its all over the place of like, you are enough, you can do it. You, and, and I had a book on my nightstand that's titled something like, I don't even know where that book is now. I probably threw it out, but like, it was something like the, the, the dealing with the anger, the anger and fear. I don't know all this stuff. Cause Holy so much stuff was shit. coming up for me while I was yeah. an Adler and I literally stroked out. So it, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but you no, literally, I literally, you literally did. stroked it's out. totally okay now because thank God I'm here. Like totally normal, like talking to you. I still have, I don't some, know about like, totally normal, well, but sure. True. I mean, I definitely have some weird quirks and stuff, but that probably but just like expanded. About this is wild. Cause you are so strong. Like that's I would not consider to be you debated like, because I'm probably one of the strongest MFs you're ever going to know. Yeah. But then what, okay. So you're, so let's define then what you were struggling with. It wasn't the strength to get through it. Cause you have the strength. You have Correct. unbelievable it, resolve. I think it's, um, it's like, I just, I, I can fight through it, but I will be struggling to believe in myself the whole time. It doesn't mean that I won't push myself to do sure, it. Sure, sure, But like, am I enough? Why don't they like me? Why don't I get that? Why did they take that role away from me? Why am I not good enough? Yeah. Why is my voice changing? Why am I feeling all these things in my throat? Why is the Mikaela sounding so bad? Like all these things, that is what was happening. And I just like retreated, 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 even even more inside of myself and, and sure. then literally stroked out. So feel free to answer this or not. Uh, how much of that, that you felt and that sort of led to this breakdown, how much of that was generated by yourself and how much of that was generated externally? Like, cause 90% of the things I feel like no one cares as much as you think they care ever. Totally. I've especially, especially about like, <laughs> Yeah. I, I generate a lot of self-doubt for myself. Um, I'm definitely a generator of the self-doubt. Okay. Um, but I would say that it, it probably was 
mostly impacted by the way I internalized the things that were going on. And because I was not singing my best and because I didn't know how to fix that. And when I was going back to New York to work with my teacher there, it wasn't helping. It actually was, it, it, it was harming me. Um, and I had two different styles of singing, one person trying to jam my larynx down and the other person trying to get it in my nose. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't know myself well enough. And I was like, who's the girl who sang Sutzel? If you listen to it, it was some of the most glorious singing. And I'm like, where did she go? Mm. And it was like little by little because of all my self doubt. I absolutely, she just eroded. Yeah. And with that, my heart literally was like, I'm going to stop for a moment and release this blood clot to the left side of your brain so that you're in a hospital for four days so that you like knock it off. Because I, like something that big literally had to happen to get me to get, like not make everything such a big Incredible. deal. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Which like, doesn't that mean you... that things still aren't big deals now. But you know, yeah. like it had to be like this literally instantaneous moment. I walked out of the shower. Literally, I went to grab my towel and the right side of my face was numb. It was droopy. I remember like hitting it oh, I was alone in my apartment and I went 30 and I, yeah, I was like 32 31 <laughs> 32 I, I went to the mirror I was like I was trying to figure I was supposed to pick up my dad at the airport because he was coming into San Francisco for business I was trying to plug the blow dryer in and I couldn't figure out how to do it but my straightener was plugged oh, in so I was trying God. to turn it on because I guess I was going to straighten wet hair and I couldn't and like the power button was right there and I couldn't turn it on So I walked out of my bathroom and my bedroom and like did like a little turn and came back into the bathroom and looked at myself in the mirror and tried to say like, come on, knock it off. And it was like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. But I waited stubborn to my own detriment 40 minutes before I called the paramedics. Because I didn't want to believe. Don't it was wait happening. forty minutes, y'all. If you're Don't. listening to this public service announcement. Oh my, we're all about PSAs for sure. Call nine one one. Yeah, if your face is feeling droopy, yeah, and it sounds like you're speaking Czech for the first time, <laughs> <laughs> which is now my yeah. favorite thing to Bro- say. I know we're gonna talk about, it. <laughs> um, but but yeah, that is that's unbelievable. And so then you call, so the cops show up and they see all your. They're like, oh, this is a Sopranos apartment. She's got post-its everywhere. Yeah, and one of them says, (laughs) for real, and one of them says to me, do you have a problem with, um, like, anxiety or panic attacks? And I wanted to start crying. (laughs) Because I was, because I knew, because I knew something was really wrong. By this time, it's like 50 minutes after the event. Do you know event. the Michaela duet? <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard of this poor fireman? <laughs> but I remember I was sitting on the edge of my bed and I turned to the right and I looked at the this one fireman and he was like, guys, this is bigger than, this is bigger than just a panic attack. And I don't know why they listened to him. I don't know who he was. I don't know who these guys were. But they took me down and the paramedics were down at the bottom of my um, apartment complex. They took me down the elevator. And I got into the- You had an elevator in San Francisco? Yeah. Fancy. Um, Because at this point, I wasn't living in the city proper. I was near Candlestick Park and one of these like new apartment complex. So- Sorry. um, (laughs) No, no. So I, uh, I got into the paramedics and to the ambulance- and he was like, can you tell me what happened? And I was, now I started touching the left, my left side of my face, but I kept saying like 
my right side, my right side. And he said, what side are you touching right now? And by the way, at this point, the ambulance is driving. Right. And he's like, what side are you touching right now? I was like, my right side. He was like, no, you're touching your left. And he turned around. Oh he God. said, take her to Seton, which has a stroke center. And so that's where we went. Incredible. In Daly City. Anyway. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, let's get back to opera now. I don't know. <laughs> no. So don't get so stressed, everybody, and stroke out. And, yeah, because you'll literally stroke out. 50 oh, minutes, 40 my minutes God. to Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So, so you're doing all this. So, Adler was a little stressful. I think we've, I think we've established. For me, for that. me, correct. I think we can just move right. That's past my that. story. We, let's move um, on. It is so funny to hear you talk about how stressed you were and how you doubted yourself and all of this stuff. Because I literally wrote this. I wrote, "You're a go getter," because I believe I think that's the best. That's what my mom would call you. Um, and. What do you, what it, what would be your sort of general, I hate general advice, but it's always good. Uh, especially things like don't stroke out is excellent. Let's keep to that <laughs> script. Um, what, let's frame it this way. And I'm just going to say this. Um, I think looking, looking at you on paper mm-hmm. and I guess in real life too, now that I know you, uh, you sort of have the great white whale of careers you have the big american regional soprano career like a lyric soprano career sure you're a lyric right yes yeah Yeah. so when i look at your opera base for my money i'm like a little bit bitter because i'm like oh she didn't have to go suffer through germany and she didn't have to do all this and like she's work you know what i mean and for for all of us who are like your your career the the your style career is becoming less and less achievable and attainable in America. Truly, that and, is yeah. And for me, I'm, I'm sort of jealous of you in that way that like you get that awesome career. So like, how how did that work out for you? How did how did how did you sort of skate around Europe? Not skate around, but how did you sort of get away from all of that? And what led to the career you now have, which is a flourishing, excellent. I didn't know anybody that was in, in Europe and I didn't know how to do it and I didn't have any money to go. And I obviously, um, am like have a chicken heart and I was scared to death to go. So I just didn't go actually in listening to your podcast. I wish I would have gone. I've said that to you already. Like I wish I would have gone because maybe if I could have been in a program there that would have where I could have sung a lot and I don't know, had a different maybe experience, but also maybe not. Maybe I would have stroked out and died there because I couldn't handle the pressure. I don't, I don't know. It would depend on what house you're in. Right. So like, I don't know. I mean, I'm really lucky that the houses regionally that I have sung with, I've been rehired at every house that I have sung in. Why do you think? Because because for everyone listening, by the way, the young people for for professional opera singers, at least for my money, getting reengaged is where it's at. It's key. Lots of people take a chance on you, especially if it's a role you've done before and they just need someone. But it's that reengagement. It's sort of that like, what would you like to do here next like, or whatever? I wish that is so important. What I wish is that people like the other houses regionally that I want to break into. I wish that. They would, they would recognize that I've been rehired mm-hmm. everywhere. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> because I'm not a good auditioner. Yeah. But I'm really good in the room. I'm really good in the space. I'm really good on stage. I do things there that are different. I can't produce that in an audition. It's like I just, I'm not good at the auditions. And as, as Sopranos, when there are 500 million of us, yeah. and they know that there are five they can call right now who have big managers, and I didn't have a well-known manager until two years ago. 
So when you don't have any of those other things and you're sort of doing sure. it on your own, but sure. you're doing it really well, right? those companies want you to come back and their public are looking for you to come back. Yeah. And I love to try new things there. So you're building this relationship with not just the company, but like you said, the public, which is so important, right? It's yes. so important to have that. Um, just watch her on the, make sure she doesn't pull out that cord. We got a dog going crazy over here. <laughs> just push that cord in a little bit. I think it's still. Are fine. we okay? Oh yeah. Um, Amelia. Um, yeah. I mean, I have. Uh, there are people at these that these other houses where I sing mm-hmm. that know me and hear me and yeah. like want to see me after the show or take me to dinner after the show or actually have come to hear me sing in other places that I sing yeah. and. And now is, you're singing for money instead of dating and now, for it. <laughs> I know. For for food, yeah. It is true. It's true. So, yeah, I wish – it's something I say to my manager all the time. Like, can we tell them that I've been rehired everywhere? Like, I am. Yeah. I've been rehired everywhere. Don't – when you look at Opera Base and you're like, well, you weren't rehired at um, Austin Lyric Opera. False. It's just that I was pregnant. Got him. <laughs> it's just that I was pregnant. <laughs> and I was going to do that contract. I was supposed to sing Curly's Wife and Of Mice and Men and Christine McIntyre's Of Mice and Men, which is amazing that I did at Utah Opera. Um, but Tomas was in the NICU and I had to cancel. Now, they have, a new, they have a new director there. Right. And so I need to sing for her. But I, but yes, I was rehired there. You were rehired. Just in case any caddy sopranos just are like, um, you didn't get rehired I don't know if, if actually that was co- corrected on my opera base or not because somebody <laughs> else stepped in for that role. But. I'll talk to him at Opera Base. Don't worry. I'll send that strongly worded email. You... <laughs> That's so crazy. Just so you Once know. Once a soprano, always a it's, soprano, you can't, man. You can't... Just so you know. Just so you know. Right. I love that. Ooh, I love that. Fire. That's the thing. That's what's so crazy to hear you under so much stress because you are so on top of it. And it's like, it's like uh, Jen told me one time, this is a funny story. She was like, uh, I was getting ready for an audition and I had to um, uh, iron my shirt, right? Oh, I hate ironing. So I hate ironing. I hate anything to do with anything that involves clothes, really. Yeah. I love wearing them, but that's about it. Yeah. And and even that I could take or leave. So so I'm ironing my shirt and I was like, oh, this is so stupid. And she was getting ready. She didn't have an audition that day, but she was dressing up to go to the theater with me. And she like just grabbed this maxi dress out of her thing and just like dusted it off and threw it on and it was perfect, you know? And she had it in like a ball in her hand. And I was like, ugh, ugh, how dare you just get to throw on that dress? And she was like, Nicholas Brownlee, if you had my hair, if you had my pre-audition hair routine for one day, you'd quit singing. Oh my God, yeah. And it's sort of like that where like you, the thing that, the things that women go through in this business—I mean, we all—we all have our struggles. But the thing that women go through in this business to to make it—it's so funny to hear like, that you have that reaction to the maxi dress because I'm sure for all of the ladies out there that do these auditions, I envy all the time that a guy just needs a great suit or a great pair of jeans right. and a sport coat and just a nice crisp shirt, right. and you can wear that 500 times. Right, right, And I'm right. like, screw you. I have to wear my Spanx no, and my hose, and I have to have, if I, it's not a peep toe, I like a peep toe, but they don't like a peep toe. I mean, it's like right. ridiculous. That's the cutest picture I've ever seen in my life. She, so Sarah wore peep toes to her wedding. And she had one toe was painted in an American flag and one in a Mexican flag. So that was my friend, my roommate. Her name is Carolyn. Yeah, Love she it. did that. Yeah, isn't that awesome? Um, okay, so so you just you you just stay in America. You now did you? This is an important question. How many of these? Because we talk we talk a lot on this podcast about cold booking and how hard it is to walk into a 
Shetler Studio mm -hmm. in New York or whatever and sing for a, a big regional company like Seattle, Kansas City or whatever and them to go, oh, yeah, you're the person for us. Because either there's seven people making that decision, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're, they all each have their person they want to cast for their political reasons. So, like, uh, uh, clearly some of these you have booked on auditions. Um, yes, but I have not... Um, for some of the bigger regional houses, I have not just cold been hired by yeah. them outside of, outside of, you know, Des Moines, Utah, Arizona, Austin, San Diego. Um, those are the houses predominantly that I've worked at now here in Dallas and then San Francisco. I, I returned to cover after I graduated there, but, um, I have not done like a cold booking where they've been like, yes, we want you. Yeah. Since then. Yeah. Like three seconds in, they put their hand yep. up. They're like, inquest that I, you're hired. No. Nope. Um, so we've established, we've established, uh, that if you, if you go too crazy, you'll stroke out. Don't do that. We've established <laughs> that, um, that you're awesome and you push through all these things, but I want to talk now transitioning into something a little bit heavier. And I want to talk about what your process has been like becoming a mother in mm. this business and mm -hmm. in your specific situation, because I've watched Jen, like right now, Jen's alone with the baby doing a new production while I'm here, like eating Chipotle every day Dude. and like sleep until noon. Jen is super mama. Yeah. She, she, she really, really is. Um, and, and so I've watched that transition. I watched her transition to a mom and me transition to a dad in this business. So, uh, Tomas is, Three and a half. Three and a half. Three and a half now. Three and a half now. He was born at 27 weeks, one pound, 11 ounces. Yeah. Um, when Sarah was absolutely re-engaged at the <laughs> Austin. Just so weird just to drive that I, home. I had to cancel a lot of contracts, though, <laughs> right. for that. Because wow. um, because my due date was November, and I was supposed to sing Rosalba in, in um, Arizona. So I had to cancel that. I had to cancel um, So you were supposed to sing these while you were pregnant. I, it's or, just that I found out that I was pregnant and Tomas's due date was November. So I, you know, I didn't, I just assumed that probably two weeks after popping out a baby, cause I thought everything was going to go great. I couldn't get to Arizona and sing. Like I just, I didn't know how I would do that. So I was just like, I think because, and you know, sometimes you can go two uh -huh. weeks past your due date. So I like, see. I see. it yeah. wouldn't be fair. Um, but he came early instead. So, um, I had to deliver early because my, um, my placenta and the umbilical cord was no longer sending um, like nutrients to nutrients, the placenta. Okay. And so it's called interuterine growth restriction. And when we delivered, we discovered Tomas has something called total situs inversus with dextocardia. So all of his organs are in the mirrored position and his heart is on the right. Wow. And um, he's missing his 12th rib which are your floating ribs. I guess they call it 12. Like it's 12, the top of the, is that the bottom, top of the bottom? The bottom. Okay. So, you know, he's never playing contact sports because yeah. all of those vital organs might are be not a really good idea. Protected. Sort of regardless and in, in, in general, <laughs> in general. Yeah. But, um, and he, we discovered later 50% of the time when you have total situs and versus, you can have a secondary abnormality called primary ciliary dyskinesia, which is like having cystic fibrosis, but it's not CF. Okay. It doesn't have the mortality um, concerns and complications that CF has, okay. but they are treated the same in terms of um, therapy with CPT vest and nebulizer treatments and all that stuff. So Tomas 
wears a CPT vest every morning and night that beats on his lungs and gets multiple um, nebulizer treatments a day. And because he was intubated for so long, he developed pulmonary hypertension um, in the NICU. And we ha- they had to put him, I mean, he was literally at one point like, 100% oxygen and 20 parts per million of nitric oxide. Mm. And, um, I mean, he was a sick, sick little guy. So he, yeah, he was in the NICU for a really, really long time. For six, for six, exactly six months. We, we brought him six home February 17th of 2016. Yeah. So. Woof. Okay. So this is another. Woof. Okay, so this so is another... So I had another... to take two... Literally, I took two and a half years off of singing. So I canceled all these engagements. Then Tomas was so sick. And, and this is... And, and, and one thing that obviously it's not... It's never and not about money, except... Well, all like, of a sudden... what do you do for money well, now? Like, my like, husband had transitioned from singing into yeah. admi- being an administrator. Mm-hmm. So singing fees were not a reality anymore. And we were... Um, Oh. And yeah, it was really hard because we were a one income house with a child who was medically fragile and um, really lucky that, you know, I I had family and friends here that could help. But like to not be living like to not be living in Minnesota where I could get my sister or my sister-in-law to come over and just sit with me. That's really Cause, that's cause hard. Not only, so you have. So this is when you guys were in Dallas already. We were yeah. here. So yeah. you're in Dallas. You you basically have no family here, right? I mean, so none. So you're doing here. this all alone, or or at least like if family does come in, they come in for a little while. My my family would leave. come in. David's family was with us for a month. My my parents would come in for oh. like a week every month and be with us, but. No, it was so impossible. Two, so you took two and a half years off of singing. Because once Tomas was born, so he was yeah. born in August. Let me just get this. Door yeah. Real fast. We're getting ready for a show. Okay. <laughs> hey, hey, come in, come in. We'll just pause for a second. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. We're we're it's really no problem. Podcasting. So he's born in August, and he's born. He's born what two and a half months early. Three. Three I delivered him exactly on the day one of my third trimester. God bless. So born in August, super sick until February. Well, February of the next year, we get to bring him home and then begins what I still do now, but I'm so much more used to it, which is seeing specialist after specialist. So pulmonology, cardiology, Mm. urology, gastroenterology, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech and feeding therapy. These are all like, in fact, before coming here to record today, we were at the pulmonologist for his, for every three months, he goes for a follow-up and I've just learned how to like manage it all. Yeah. Be with him at feeding therapy on Tuesday morning and then go to rehearsal at 2 PM. And like, then it's just, it's a, it's a crazy thing, but I know how to do it now. But because I took that time off Mm -hmm. in November of 2016, I had, um, a contract that I did not cancel, which was to sing Rusalka with Arizona opera. So that was the first job that I did sort of coming back out. So this is him. So he's a year old. He's a year old, but he's literally developmentally like. Sure. Like, yeah. I mean, were we walking then? I don't even know. I don't even remember. I think we were, we were like pulling to stand, but we weren't walking. Okay. At that point. It, he wasn't walking until he was 18 months old. Okay. Um. So like the following spring. But um. so I had 
I had that gig, which got me back into it, but I was scared to death to try and sing. I did not sing one sound, nothing the whole time Tomas was in the NICU. And for me, what was also sort of personally devastating about it is I had just sung uh, Yenufa, which was a huge success at Des Moines. And if Tomas wouldn't have been delivered early and if things would have worked out a little bit differently, I, I could have rode that wave. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just she not how it worked out. She had all this momentum and then all Finally, of a sudden. Finally, right? Wow. I had this and I had, and it, we recorded it for Iowa Public Television and it was so Good. Like it was just so good. It was just good. Was and just I good had job. something to show everybody. And it was a niche that I felt was right for me. Yeah. And I was going to be able to set myself apart from all the other Sopranos. Yeah. But um, it just didn't work out that way. Uh, so you, I don't want to say restarted. No, but I did. But you sort of did. I legitimately right? did. I didn't sing for a year. My first lesson back was July of 2016. So Tomas was born okay. August of 2015 and I went back to see, I work with Tony Manoli now in New York and I went back to see him and I was like, Tony, I don't think I can do it because I had don't tried. Don't be mean to me, Tony. No, but he <laughs> never is. He's amazing. But I, I had tried to sing once, like before we brought Tomas home from the NICU and I started crying and I had to call David to come home from work because I, because I had been pregnant when I had been singing before and I was like, how do I not sing? pregnant anymore and how do I sing now that I have this child that we don't know what it's going to look like besides all the physical stuff all the mental stuff right like the chords will still come together but good lord but I couldn't like like, emotionally uh, if I stroked out over like competition before imagine like now I just couldn't sing but when I got to Tony I mean I could sing but I just couldn't emotionally do it yeah of course so when I got to Tony that first lesson actually I still have it and it's one of my favorite lessons to warm up to because he's like in fact, your voice is even bigger than it was before. Oh, he and did the right fa- thing. Yeah. And he was oh. like, and in fact, you are, he's like, the best thing you did is you didn't sing at all when you were under emotional duress. Yeah. Because you did not program bad habits and gripping into your throat. Yeah. He's like, so I applaud you for not pushing yourself for once. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. I do the opposite. I just <laughs> grip and push as much as possible. <laughs> but so... That's what we do to survive, though, or See, like when we are under pressure. That is yeah. what we will do. Or yeah. sometimes we just do it. Yeah. Like it's the second orchestra day in the road, road today. <laughs> For real. <laughs> um, Jesus Christ! I mean, I knew all this, but to hear it out loud is just so gnarly. So, not only are you uh, in maybe the most saturated business that I'm aware of, <laughs> uh. You totally. are the most uh, the most common of what is available in our business. Yes. Then you go through a literal stroke out. You do all of this stuff. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And you yeah. still, and now you're working consistently again. And you've got the, you've got this, you've got Tomas's sort of regimen figured out. And yeah. he's doing better. Yeah. Every day you're showing me a new video of him being he's amazing. amazing. N- truly. And David, your your husband, has like settled into his role here. Totally. Um, Very well. And like, it's incredible. Now. It, Our marriage for the first time in years is like it, actually rock solid because we've been through so much that it's been really, really difficult. And, but you know, it. So that there's that. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, of course. And, um, you know, now there's like a potential momentum again. Uh, so like universe, please be kind. Yeah. <laughs> but though you go back to do in, in that same breath, like you, you do the, you, you know, my mom would always say, God never gives you more than you can handle. 
Totally. So you go, you get the Yanifo, you get all the momentum, you got that wave going, and then the wave sort of breaks on the <laughs> on the beach, which consists of like your baby being born early. Yes. And then so you do all that, but then you do this amazing Rizalka. So and, yeah, I do that Rizalka in Arizona, and mm-hmm. it's okay. It's okay. Not like what I just did in Des Moines, and I'm dying to sing okay. her again because I think like yeah. she's she's just ugh, that role. Yeah. But after after that Rusalka, I still then I don't have any more singing gigs. Right. But I'm trying to get back out there, and I t- end up talking to Ana de Archuleta, and I show her that video of the Yenofa, and she's mm. like, "Oh my god, ace in the hole, bro." Yeah. Yeah. And I, sh- I, sh- I, I have like some recordings of the Rusalka and she's like, mm-hmm. okay. She's like, let me just, so we talk and she's like, let me make some calls. So again, this is where having been rehired and having a relationship with these houses, she goes back to Utah. She goes back to Des Moines. She goes back to Arizona. She goes back to all the companies mm-hmm. I've sung for. And they're like, Sarah's come like Sarah singing. Yes. Will, will Sarah sing a Rosalinda Amazing. done. Will Sarah sing the Rusalka done. Amazing. Will Sarah sing the Traviata done and all of a sudden my my houses that I've worked at the most have re-engaged me in this year that has been sort of the rebirth of my singing again rebirth of a a lot of things yeah so so tell me uh we'll just finish up here because we gotta like I gotta get into makeup and stuff um the diva coline (laughs) um so just to finish up can you talk to me a little bit um, I want to get some general advice for sopranos, how like stick your nose to the grind. But can you talk to me um, about how does the paradigm shift in singing? Like, how do you view it personally now, having gone through such trauma mm-hmm. with your with your son, mm-hmm. who's now doing great, mm-hmm. thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what did what did singing look like before then? And now what does it look like now, three and a half years? Oh my gosh. When I was singing Mosetta in San Diego Opera, which is where I debuted the role, mm-hmm. I was like sleeping all day. I was so quiet. I was getting massage and acupuncture. Yeah. I was having drinking all my teas. Right. I was like so, I was like not moving, like so quiet. Sure. No, that's not how it is anymore. Yeah. Like I, and now you're singing Mosetta and you're up at 5.30 to give breathing treatments. Tomas and was up at yeah. 3.30 last night and at 4 a.m., I got up with him last night. So um, I, then I was up. Then he slept till eight. Thank you, little man. But like took him to a doctor's appointment today. Like, he, yeah, it's th- literally I don't mean this to sound dramatic and it's going to sound traumatic. But the actual truth of it is when Tomas was in the NICU before we transferred to Children's, when we were at Baylor Dallas, I was in the middle of kangaroo care and I was holding him and he was so sick. And I picked him up to put him into his um, into his crib. And he did what's called a bradycardia, where he literally clamped down and stopped himself from breathing. And he was on bubble CPAP, which forces air into the nose to open the lungs. But his little body, like, literally clamped down. And the entire team rushed to his bed. They had to bag him. They didn't tell me to leave. I was right there. Funny enough, David had gotten off of work early that day and had come to surprise us and walked in. And it was... One of two times where I literally saw my son stop breathing for an extended period of time. The second time was at Children's Hospital the day after his heart surgery. And he was intubated at that time, but he clamped down and it was a code blue. And my mom and I were walking up to his room at that time. Mm. And my mom wanted me to turn around and leave. And I said, no, if this is the moment that my son is going to die, then I'm going to be right here. And I did not move. And... 
I think when you go through those things, it puts a lot of life into perspective because we're really blessed and lucky that we get to do this. And I'm not saying don't take care of yourself and don't be quiet when you need to and don't drink your teas and have your lozenges and do your acupuncture and massage. And because in fact, I still do those things for myself, but my head isn't as pazza as it was before because I have this little life that I have been able to get out of a hospital and into a home, into a home that loves him and grow him and nurture him. And that is, is real life. And what I get to do here is like the cherry on top. So Mm -hmm. I just need to enjoy it and not be so fucked up in my head about it just for real. It's become, it's become so, It doesn't mean that I don't have moments. No, I get it. I get it. And 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 even now, even now, like, even now there's, like, it's okay to be freaked out about opera. It's okay to be worried about it. Yes. You're supposed to be. You want to do well. That fear is a good, that's a healthy fear, of course. Yeah. But when that fear starts. I mean, you're a grown-ass woman now. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, it was, you had this moment and then that is what flipped you. So the people who are 22 right now being like, oh, I should relax. Like maybe, or you should like work your butt off. Like it's all a natural progression. And it's And so, by the way, I'm not saying you need to go through trauma or a big life event to have sure. this, this realization. Unfortunately for me, I need to stroke out or have a early C-section and a baby <laughs> that's sick to get yeah. the universe to get me to yeah. be like, Listen up and chill out. That Garland out. is stubborn. I am God is one. <laughs> but you know, my son is too. Like that kid right. is more stubborn. But that is why he is alive. That's why he's breathing today. That is right. Wow. Incredible. Well, thanks for joining me. I think we should end right there <laughs> because that's awesome and exciting. Uh, this has been great. Thank, Thank you. Thank you for your candidness. Yeah. And your honesty. It's yeah. It's so intense. I'm sure people are listening to this. Being like, oh, I thought this would be fun. <laughs> it turns really, really interesting and deep, which I think is excellent. We got them. We suckered them into it. Oh, This is real life, everyone. Yeah, they came here for advice on a B-flat, and they left crying. <laughs> and that's where it should be. All right. Thanks for joining us. And uh, uh, and thank you, too, for joining Yay, us. Yay, Amelia. Baby. Good job. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Okay.